How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Extra Pass Pod. And today we are starting off with some unfortunate news. On New Year's Eve, the world learned that on October 31st, legendary rapper and producer MF Doom passed away. His family released a statement, obviously, two months after, which seems only fitting considering the mystique that Doom carried and the life he lived. Now, for some quick backstory for those of you who aren't familiar, MF Doom, um, better known as Daniel Dumoulet, was born in London, moved to Long Island, and in 1988 was set to break out as one of the next great um, underground hip-hop artists in a group called KMD. At this time, he went by the name Zevlov X. Um, also in this group was his brother Subrock, and unfortunately, in 1993, his brother Subrock uh, died in a car accident. And the album that they were planning on releasing was also canned by their record label, citing that the cover art was a little too gory, I think, egregious. And ultimately, the entire project collapsed, and Doom, who was set to have a pretty promising career, was kind of just cast into the dirt. And for the next five or six years, MF Doom, or as he was known at the time, Zevlov X, was a homeless man in Manhattan. And... Up until uh, 1998, he was essentially in hiding. And then in the late 90s, he reemerged onto the scene, only making appearances in public wearing a metal mask. And this was influenced by the, uh, the character from Fantastic Four, the villain Doom. And he kind of took on like a villainous persona. And a lot of this was because of his history with the rap industry and how they kind of just tossed him to the curb after the death of Subrock. A lot of his inspiration and a lot of the tones that he uses in some of his early tracks are influenced by this villainous persona in sort of an effort to take revenge on the music industry for the ways that they wronged him. And in 1999, he really burst onto the scene for the first time with his EP Operation Doomsday. Um, Following Doomsday, he dropped Take Me to Your Leader under a different persona, King Ghidorah, who was influenced by the Godzilla franchise's villain, King Ghidorah. Um, he followed this up with Vaudeville Villain under the persona Victor Vaughn, completely different character. Victor Vaughn was supposed to be a younger version of MF Doom who idolizes MF Doom, but also sees him as someone who stands in his way. And then finally, in 2004, he released the well culturally received, or critically received Mad Villainy, his collab with Mad Lib. And this is by far his most critically successful album, and it's one of the most well received in the industry. And in the same year, he followed it up with mm Food, which was his highest selling album, but definitely not. Um, I think it's fair to say that Mad Villainy definitely takes the cake in terms of, you know, Doom's lyricism and production. And the collab with Mad Lib is really what pushed it over the edge. But just in general, this is a really huge loss for the hip hop community because MF Doom has always been regarded as someone who is your favorite rapper's favorite rapper so to put it, because he was just so influential in the underground hip-hop scene, and his unique sounds and the way he approached music with his own distinct style was something that you couldn't really find at this stage in hip-hop. He's very influential for any fans of Joey Badass, Earl Sweatshirt, Tyler the Creator. They pretty much idolize Doom. Um, There's plenty of rappers that do. Um, There's that video of Most Def in the studio, uh, rapping MF Doom's basically entire discography and just talking about how pivotal his releases were into his own career. And although Doom never really lived in a limelight, it's very easy to see his influence today. So 
it's just a tough loss. And I mean, at the edge of 49, no one really expected this or saw it coming. Um, so it's only fitting that we commemorate him in some way. So we're going to go over some of our favorite songs from Doom um, in the hopes that you guys might listen to them on your own time and hopefully get into Doom as much as we are. So, Jack, what are your five favorite songs? <clears throat> so uh, I don't think these are not in particular order, but uh, my five favorite songs are Strange Ways off uh, Mad Villainy, where uh, Doom delivers what's probably my favorite verse of his where he talks about um, the hypocrisy of, you know, uh, the military and just a lot of the the strange ways in which, like, you know, the actions of the U.S. and uh, takes it compared to, you know, and how it's seen by our citizens versus how we see other people. You know, he uh, just really attacks again the hypocrisy of of the system and the world we live in today and it's really applicable again to the world even you know 17 years after that song was released and it kind of is a lot different than a lot of his other work and it's still masterfully written obviously mad lib as usual delivers an amazing beat and it's just a, a beautiful track um and uh, another one of my favorite songs is "That's That," which is uh, which comes off of his uh, 2009 album "Born Like This," which is one of the wildest songs I've ever heard in my life. Has possibly the craziest rhyme scheme I have ever seen on any song ever, where like almost every syllable of each bar rhymes. It's a uh, truly a crazy experience. And even with that, he actually, again, is criticizing the military and, you know, uh, foolish people who, you know, sign up for the military thinking it'll bring them glory when it really just brings them death and depression. And then another one of my favorite songs, again, off Mad Villainy, is... Fancy Clown, uh, which actually features his alternate persona, uh, Victor Vaughn. And uh, in this song, uh, he talks about his girlfriend who uh, cheated on him uh, with his alternate persona. Uh, And it's really just uh, a, 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 a hilarious song. And again, as usual, Mad Lib delivers an incredible beat. And there's even a, a catchy hook on this one, mm-hmm. which is not seen across a lot of Mad Villainy. Um, and then up next is uh, probably my favorite track off of Mmm Food, uh, One Beer, which is, again, uh, in the tone of this album, he keeps up with the the food metaphors. You know, he drops, you know, some classic Doom one-liners as always. And it's actually one of the, the only track produced by Madlib on food and again I hate to say it again but Madlib again delivers a fantastic beat and then lastly I wanted to finish it up with uh the first Doom song I ever heard which was uh Doomsday off of his 1999 uh Dooms uh Operation Doomsday EP and this is uh I believe this is Doom's most popular track mm-hmm. and it's another one where he delivers, you know, 
great one-liners and you know some stuff that really is uh with his passing uh is really like the first line or what's the line he has where it's like uh about his uh tombstone right above my government dumoulay either unmarked or ungraved hey who's to say yep Basically saying that, you know, when he passes, his grave won't mean much. He's not going to mark it in a fancy way. And mm-hmm. it really fits his entire existence as living this mystique, this reclusive lifestyle, not really, you know, having a public image or becoming a part of the mainstream music industry, which is really what makes Doom so unique. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, those are my five favorite Doom songs. Josh, give me yours. So my favorite Doom song, and I only can say this because it's the only Doom song that every single time I listen to it, it feels like I'm listening to it for the first time, and that is Raid off of Mad Villainy. Part of the reason is because of Mad Lib's production on this song. This is my favorite instrumental out of any song ever, and it's pretty easy to see. It's a very melodic and addictive hook. Um... And the first verse that Doom spits in Raid is one of his best, I think. The only caveat in this song is that the second verse is not Doom's. It's M.E.D. And he still delivers a quality verse, although I just really wish Doom had followed up in Raid with a, a second verse of his own. But if you're looking for a really accessible Doom song that's, you know, catchy, fun, exciting, definitely put on Raid. Um, another song off Mad Villainy that's going to crack my top five is All Caps. This is Doom's probably most comic book-esque villain song. It, there's a video on YouTube, actually, that a fan created pairing the um, some comic book graphics with the, the All Caps um, instrumental and soundtrack. And it's basically all Doom tried to encapsulate as his villainous persona. Um, he's just a villain in every sense of the world, in every sense of the word. He wants his name spelled in all caps. You know, he wants to become a threat to society and he's really just a menace. And although he's not in any actual practical sense, all caps really encapsulates what he tried to paint himself as in his underground limelight. And I think it's the best way that you could possibly describe a rapper who's striving to be a villain. Um, another song that's going to come into my top five. Is actually a song from Gorillaz, but I'm putting it in here because Doom provides all the vocals aside from the refrain. And the song is called November Has Come. It's kind of a, a low-key Doom song. It's definitely not something that's going to hype you up or that you're going to want to dance to like some of his other tracks. But it's it's a very authentic sound. Um, some of his best rhymes that I've ever heard. A very consistent rhythm. And in general, it's just a song that is so perfect at setting a mood. And, I mean, I love Gorillaz. They've produced some of my favorite tracks of all time. So this tandem was just so so fun to hear. And if, you, if you're going to diversify your Doom portfolio, definitely put this song on. Now, another song in here is Rhymes Like Dimes off of Operation Doomsday. Similar to Raid and Doomsday that Jack mentioned, it's one of his more accessible tracks. It's one of the most fun instrumentals he has. It becomes a little repetitive, but it's just very consistently energetic and fun. And it's basically the one Doom song that you can play at a party with full confidence. And one thing about MF Doom is that, although he's my favorite artist of all time, he's definitely a circumstantial rapper. And 
I wouldn't put him on before a football game or at a disco <laughs> party. Although Rhymes Like Dimes is one instance where Doom really stretches his legs and shows how he can pretty much produce a song for any medium or any mood. And Rhymes Like Dimes is just the perfect example of that. The last song that's going to round out my top five is Question Mark from Doomsday. And it's literally called Question Mark, although it's been stylized as the simple question mark symbol. So if you're in the Doomsday album, look for that um, featuring Curious. And it's kind of just an essential Doom track with some some very, very essential rhymes. And it's one of those songs that similar to all caps really does a great job of building up his persona and creating the mystique around doom as a person and as a villain. And it's, it's definitely one of his most well-received and critically acclaimed songs. So, I mean, give these 10 songs a listen. And I guarantee you that by listening to the five songs that each of us just mentioned, you'll probably become a doom fan too, because I feel like we've picked out his work. That's not only the most accessible, but also the most enjoyable and really some of his best. So give these songs a spin if you're not already a Doomhead, and I'm sure you'll um, come out with a different sort of respect on the other side. Um, and I think one thing to note about Doom, and I think the reason that his passing is really so, so heavily felt throughout the rap community is because he really did change the game. And I know people say that about a lot of rappers, but what Doom did in the 90s on a rap scene that was very traditional and kind of run-of-the-mill rap was that he introduced sampling into his songs. And you'll notice as you listen to some of these songs that a lot of the sounds you hear in the background are samples from old cartoons, their movie dialogue, their other songs. And up until this point, sampling was not a huge thing. It really wasn't. And uh, I'm about to tell you that that's not true. Well, like the type of sampling that he does in rap, you know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, with the with the comic books, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, people like uh, the Wu Tang Clan love to sample movies and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And I think Doom is definitely you can definitely credit Doom for bringing that into a lot of other rappers' work. And although I will say, no rapper that I've ever listened to has ever incorporated, you know, the type of the type of instrumentals, I mean, the type of uh, samples that Doom has, because... Yeah, he's an extremely unique and quirky sampler. Yes. Especially on uh, mm Food, yeah. which I think is his best work as a producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just some of the weirdest, but the weirdest uh, samples that just, they work. Yeah, they work beautifully, and it's he's just such a unique, you know, character. Again as a producer as well. And I think his, his production style as you, as you were leading to, uh, is, is heavily influential as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, to talk a little bit more about my sort of relationship with doom. Um, I mean, he's actually one of the first, you know, underground or, you know, I guess old school rappers that I ever really started listening to. Right, and if you if you know you know my music days, that's pretty much all I listen to. Right, mm-hmm. I I listen to soul, R and B, and underground hip hop. Right, that's basically <laughs> all I listen to. Um, and he's, you know, him and Nas were the two guys that I started listening to, um, like either if it was eighth grade or or freshman year of high school. 
mm-hmm. when I, you know, started getting into, you know, a more underground scene. And he's just, you know, always been a guy who I've listened to a ton. And he's the king of the still, underground. He really is. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just incredible to see. Or it's, I mean, it's just sad to see him, you know, gone. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it really is. That's all you can say about it. It's just, it's really tragic. And although he didn't have a prolific public life or, you know, he, he didn't live lavishly or to the extent that we see a lot of, you know, modern artists do, he was just always so present, I felt like. And I'm noticing it obviously more now, but the void that he's left in the music industry is going to be hard to replace. I'm not sure if any artist will ever really have that just sense of independence and authenticity. And what made Doom so special was that he would literally just hop on a track and rap about the dumbest shit. And it was awesome. He could talk about whatever <laughs> the hell he wanted. And his, his, I mean, his rhyme scheme is really what makes him so such like a, a talented MC, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's really hard to come by. It really is. I think yeah. the rhymes and that's that, that's some of the best rhyme schemes that I've ever heard in music. And I mean, people will always say in the debate of who has the greatest rhyme schemes of all time, it's like Doom's at the top, and then some people will try to throw in Lil Wayne. And to me, the the gap between what? Doom Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. I've Those had people don't listen to enough music. I know. God damn. No, tell me about it. But just in general, <laughs> the the gap between Doom and all the other artists who attempt to have unique and fun rhyme schemes is massive. And that's really a credit to his own talent. And it's not just that, you know, he appealed to some quirky underground group of, you know, Manhattan music industry people. It's really just that he was so talented in his own right. He was incredible. And it's going to be really hard to recreate that sound if anyone ever can. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going back to his rhyme schemes, uh, his use of internal rhyme schemes was really ahead of its time. And something that you see now in a lot of you know underground artists right you mentioned earl sweatshirt mm-hmm. uh before but even guys who don't aren't really that quirky style but uh you know uh a guy like uh, rock marciano who's uh one of the most prolific underground mcs of the decade mm-hmm. um uses that style uh quite a bit and uh it's really incredible how broad you can see his influence it's yeah it's it's really incredible and i think on this topic we're kind of omitting a really valuable doom song in his discography um figaro off of mad villainy and if you really want an example of his working rhyme schemes there's a video actually on youtube of this song with the rhymes highlighted and you really get a sense to the level to which he was enhancing these rhyme schemes. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I'm not going to try and spit these bars in an effort to recreate them because I won't do them justice and they'll sound terrible. But watch this video um, with the rhymes highlighted and just watch some of the rhymes that he puts together. Um, Another song that will give you the same sort of experience is Governor. Um, This is a more recent song. I believe it was off Born Like This, right? It's Governor's off JJ Doom. That's right. Um, so this was like an 09 track or no, 2012 track. It's from keys to the cluffs. And it's just some of the, the words he's able to rhyme are absurd. What's the, he, uh, rhymes with like volcano out of Iceland. 
yeah, it, there's this, I don't even know how to say the words. I'm not going to try to butcher the pronunciation, but it's this like super long Icelandic word and he fits it in perfectly. Oh, yeah. It's truly one of the wildest things I've ever seen. And Governor is, is it's really a unique song. And I think the first 15 seconds of it, that's one of the best Doom um, sequences that I've ever heard. I think he, he rhymes someone's name, John LaRocca, with Volcano Out of Iceland. And the way he enunciates it makes it basically sound like a foreign language, yet it's so addictive and so it, it's just so powerful. It really is. And this is not something you come by, especially now. And I'm not going to pretend to be an old head and like hate on you know, trending rap or trap or to any degree, because I think all, all music has its own purpose. And I think that all music appeals to people in different ways. You can enjoy Lil baby as much as you can enjoy doom to a certain degree, but it's just so different. And that's the reason that, I mean, I'm sure people saw MF doom on people's Instagram stories and in headlines, and they might not have known him before, but hopefully you get to understand the sense of why he was so important to the hip hop community and why it's such a massive loss. And I've just I've never felt more impacted by a celebrity death. I don't know about yourself being a Lakers fan with Kobe, but Yeah, that that's only one. Yeah, th- that's the thing. I mean, it's really hard to top and I mean, obviously when you are just a fan of someone, whether they're, you know, a massive artist or a wildly successful athlete, you can be sad about their death, but it's always a little distanced from yourself because for the most part, you know, We've never met these people. We've never interacted with these people and we've never really known them. And with Doom, despite the fact that he really tried to be unknown and tried to evade the public light, I still felt like I knew him very well. And losing his voice and his, you know, occasional appearances in the 2010s on productions or features, it just really stinks. And that's the best way you can put it, because I think Doom still had a lot left. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to say he was ever going to drop anything to the quality of his early 2000s work, but I mean, he was a pretty constant presence despite the fact that he didn't even have American citizenship and was barred from reentry in 2010. Um, because he is not an American citizen. Like I said, he was born in London, but yeah, it's just, it's, it, it was really crazy. But if there's one thing we can say about his passing, it's a little fitting that it happened on Halloween. And it's also quite fitting that his family waited two months to release the statement because if you had to pick a way for Doom to go out, it would probably be like that. And uh, I believe that's that's all we have for Doom. But absolutely, please go listen to him if you haven't already. I try to put him on to all my friends that have never heard of him um, to varying degrees of success. But for our <laughs> sake and for yeah. Doom's sake, please put on some MF Doom in the next month. Absolutely. And with that in mind, we're going to pivot back to the NBA and talk about some more takeaways from a little bit larger of a sample size now. We are about seven to eight games in. Mm -hmm. And I think we're actually going to stay uh, within New York and uh, talk about the New York Knicks. Um, Are they a fringe playoff seed team or are they going to fall out the bottom and end up sucking? Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, I, I, I'm honestly kind of leaning towards, you know, possible fringe playoff team. Um, yeah. I'll, uh, because the way Julius Randle mm-hmm. has been absolutely 
balling out this season is unreal. I, I never would have predicted that Julius Randle is almost av- is averaging like what is he? He's close to a triple I, double. I, like, I mean, yeah, twenty two, like eleven, and eight. Yeah, like what? Uh, I mean, it's it's awesome to see what he's doing, and and Tibbs has him working. Mm-hmm. You know, R.J. Barrett has been good again. Uh, at least recently, he was good. Uh, was it last last night? Yeah, last night I think, night, they, I think he went for twenty six. Yeah, right. They they beat the Hawks, who were you know one of the best teams in the NBA so far this season. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just it's awesome to see the Knicks actually looking fun and you know entertaining. And again, I I don't know if they will end up being you know this great team, but. It's just great to see decent basketball being played. Uh, yeah, you know, from in New from in New York. Yeah, and it's it's really good to see. The knock on the Knicks after every draft has always been okay, great, but they need a point guard. And this year, after drafting Obi Toppin with some pretty solid guards still on the table, I feel like people had their reservations on where their playmaking is going to come from. But you're right, with Julius Randle averaging eight assists per game, it solves a lot of those problems. And although I don't necessarily consider them a lock to get a fringe seed, I would say they're fighting. You know, I mean, if if we think that the Wizards have a shot at clinching the eight, and if we think that the Hawks are a safe playoff team at all, then the the uh, the Knicks will will have a shot. The again, the only problem is that the East is just so damn good. You know, yeah. the Pacers make the. I think before the season started, we had about six teams that were locks for the playoffs, and that didn't include the Pacers. And the Pacers got better from last year when they were a five seed. Mm-hmm. So there's pretty much one spot up for grabs in the East unless something changes. Yeah. And and one more thing about the Knicks is I think we have to talk about uh, Emmanuel quickly mm-hmm. as well. He has been so good this year. Again, he's only averaging 10 points a game, but shooting 57% from the field and 50% from three. Mm-hmm. He's looking and like a steal. He has potential to be that point guard that you were talking about uh, the New York Knicks lacking, mm-hmm. right? And if he can keep up this, the play that he's had and, and keep improving, he could be a guy who in the future is really good. Mm-hmm. And it's just great to see the Knicks work. And again, uh, a thing we have to talk about is that the fact that uh, Julius Randle and uh, R.J. Barrett are playing like 40 minutes a game under yeah. uh, uh, Coach Tib- uh, Tibbs. But, you know... It doesn't matter if they're winning games, right? They're, That's they're true. young guys. They can handle it. They're playing a very energized style of basketball. And for the first time in forever, it looks like people on the Knicks are having fun, which is just not something we've seen lately. And I think that as long as they can stay healthy, mainly Julius Randle, because if he goes down like he has in the past, then they're in trouble. But if they can stay healthy, um, they'll be at least in very good position going forward. And I think that's really what's important for Knicks fans. I, no one expects them to be a playoff team this year. So if they make it, it'll be a nice surprise. But in general, they're just trending in the right direction, which is great to see for, I mean, again, they're in the same conference as the Celtics. So not for me, but in general. Uh, yeah, just a franchise that has been horrible for so long. Exactly. So in the past week, we also had Steph Curry go for his career high, 62. Um, edging out, I think Clay was at 61 for his career high. And there was yeah. a little back and forth between Clay and Steph um, as Clay watched from his couch at home. But Steph really just went off. And all I will say is that 
Draymond Green and Steph combined for 63. And what people forget about Draymond's importance in that game is that he dropped eight assists. And that's really what they've been missing. They really needed a secondary playmaker. And there's been so many... uh, What's that? Do you see the Draymond defensive highlights for that game? Oh, they were absurd. Yeah, they were... Just vintage Draymond, like intercepting Mm -hmm. passes, making the perfect like advanced read. Um, But really, I think on the offensive end, a lot of people were clowning on him because... They posted that graphic on Bleach Report, I think, where it's a picture of Clay. I mean, uh, Steph and Draymond, and the caption is, these two combined for 63. I mean, again, though, if Draymond has one point, but he's adding eight assists, I mean, yeah. he needs to up his points a little bit. But Again, if, if if we're talking about Draymond Green, you bring up points per game, I'm going to tell you to shut up. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's just what it is. Like, I, I don't care about Draymond scoring. Like, if he does, it's nice. But he can be one of the most impactful players in the NBA. Mm-hmm. without scoring more than 10 points a game. Yeah, and again, I will say, I don't think like scoring one point per game is acceptable. And I'll, Obviously not. Obviously, right, yeah, but... and Draymond's going to tell you that himself. But again, his presence was definitely felt. Um, Wiggins started to play well lately, and Kelly Oubre has been playing, you know, a little bit better. Less less terrible. Yeah, le- yeah. less horrible. And I mean, really, anything would have been better than the way those two started the season. Exactly. So with a healthy Draymond and those two playing well, and Wiseman looking pretty solid still. I mean, he's probably ahead of the pack for Rookie of the Year, if I had to guess. You know, probably yeah, close I feel to Melo. Tim or Halliburton. Yeah, I mean, I think Melo's going to be up there as his minutes start to climb. Yep. But again, if those things can come together, I'm not. I'm not ruling them out. You know, uh, we 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 talk down on them a little bit too hard. I think. But after those first couple games, we, yeah, I agree. I think so. But if it really relies on consistent production from Ubre and Wiggins for me, because they need someone to score points, and Curry's not going to drop 62 every night. Mm-hmm. If they can I, get to where they're supposed to be, they'll be okay. Yeah, I still think, uh, you know, they, they came out, uh, they beat the Kings last night. Steph had another good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really do think Draymond being back is going to make this team a lot better. And I think it has right, the chance so to leap them into playoff contention. But Yeah, especially because I think we may have overrated how good the Western Conference is. You know? The Eastern Conference looks better, I was about to yeah, say. <laughs> so far, I, I really think it does. I, I really do. Yeah. Because, I mean... Denver still doesn't look great. Nope. Houston will be fine, right? But, but like even and, then, Houston has a ceiling, and we know that. We've seen it in the mm-hmm. past. Although, I mean, this team could be a little different. It's not like they became, you know, that much better. I don't think. And yeah, the Mavericks I, are kind of struggling still. The Blazers don't look impeccable. I mean, the Pelicans are, you know, one of the better teams in the West right now, and yeah, and they have a lot of flaws. Yeah. And compared to the East, I mean, with the East, like we said, there's probably one playoff spot up for grabs between the Hawks, the Knicks, I mean, the Cavs, I guess. But just in general, it's really tight. And we we said at the beginning of the season, there's going to be like five games separating the one and the seven. And that looks increasingly likely as these Mm -hmm. teams just seem like it seems very balanced and everyone's playing at a high level. Um, So also this past week, we had Tobias Harris edging out Jalen Brown as Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Although, to his credit, Tobias Harris went for 23-8 and eight, um, all week. And that is also the same stat line Peyton Pritchard put up last night, but we'll get into that later. Regardless, though, the Sixers look really strong. I believe they have the best record in the league still. Yep, they do. They do. At 6-1. and, one. 
They are the best they team have, in the league. They have the best defense by a full three points, which has a lot to do with Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. uh, who has been absolutely amazing this season. Now, you know, looking at his numbers, briefly won't tell you that, right? His points per game are down a little bit, but the thing for him is the efficiency. Mm-hmm. He has been an extremely efficient this year. His passing has been much better, um, and his defense has been excellent, uh, absolutely excellent. The, the uh, Sixers have two Defensive Player of the Year candidates mm-hmm. right now, and you know the inclusion of, of Seth Curry has been amazing. He has been great this year, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is with Doc Rivers just being the Tobias Harris whisperer. <laughs> I saw a stat uh, on Twitter that said that in the games where uh, Tobias Harris has been coached by Doc Rivers, he's shooting 42% from three. Wow. <laughs> which, from what I... And it's like a, it's a very, very decent amount of games. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like, you know, 30 games. Like, talk about a... I, I want to say it's like a 67-game sample size. Yeah. So, that's got to mean something, right? And, you know, from... I haven't watched a lot of Sixers basketball, but what from what I'm hearing, it's he's making way quicker decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard that's that's what Doc Rivers wanted him to do, and it sounds like that's what he's doing. Yeah. And if Tobias Harris can play like he did on the Clippers a few years ago, watch out. That is a <laughs> scary third option. Like he's shooting 47 percent from three right now on five attempts per game. That's, yeah. I mean, that's obviously that's an incredibly elite clip, but this is a guy who, th- that's the last thing I would have expected in his splits. This, I mean, yeah, he's, past two seasons, he's, he's balling. Yeah, he's been at thirty-five last year, thirty-two the year before, and it really, you're right. I mean, since he was in L.A., that was the last time, and the last time he was with the Clippers, he was shooting forty-three percent. And mm-hmm. last time he was with Doc Rivers. Yeah, so it's it's so- something about it, and I'm sure as the season goes on, we'll see more about what their scheme is doing to you know free him up but he's i mean yeah he's he's playing great although he did not deserve eastern conference player of the week (laughs) now i I do agree with that adding on to no no keep going i again i was high on the sixers uh, you know coming into the year and i will admit they haven't really played anybody very good Mm -hmm. but you know they they got some games coming up this week i think they play the celtics this week Mm -hmm. i think believe so um so again, that'll be definitely a a, a game I'll I'll be watching. Two weeks, um, two weeks they play the uh, the Celtics, but yeah, that that's gonna be a great game. The way the Celtics have been playing, yeah. Um, the again the Sixers they look great. You know, I was high on them before the year, and that prediction looks like it's coming true. Mm-hmm. All right, so in the conversation of big men who have been strikingly efficient, Rudy Gobert has been playing great lately. Although he was catching some flack from Shaq earlier, um, I don't know why Shaq went out Rudy Gobert. I mean, he really, he really didn't do anything. Cause Shaq is corny as hell. Yeah, cause Sha- Shaq, I, I think he's funny. I'd really do, but I think his uh, beef with players is just is annoying to me. Yeah, I say, but it's it's almost like just, he's kind of like reaching for something that he doesn't have anymore because he's out of exactly. the league. You know, he's putting on a weight. He's old, and he he really wants to remind people of who Shaq was. And so he posted this picture a few days ago of him. It's like a Photoshop picture of him dunking all over Rudy Gobert. And the caption is, I would have averaged 44 and 17 on this dude's head. And it's just like, what, what are you doing, man? 
why are you going after Rudy Gobert? But despite that, despite that, the Utah Jazz have been playing really well despite Donovan Mitchell not playing great. And Mm -hmm. I, I think we can chalk this up to Mike Conley, you know, Mike Conley becoming Mike Conley again. Yeah, uh, I mean, he had what, what did he have in that game against the Clippers, right? They beat the Clippers, and he played excellent in that game. Yep. Um, but, yeah, again, Mike Conley being good is really big for that team. And as you said, Donovan Mitchell has not been very good this year. No, and they're but, still three, they're, they're still four winning and two, games. right? They're still winning games, right? And, of course, a lot of that does have to do with uh, Rudy Gobert, you know, elite on defense as always. Mm-hmm. Rice O'Neal's looked really good this year. Yep. And it's just a very good team, right? Like, I think we all knew what the Jazz were coming into this year. And, you know, they're they're living up to that billing, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be good. They're going to be efficient on offense. They're going to be tough on defense. They're going to be great on defense. Yeah. So, glad to see the Jazz playing very well. And they'll definitely, who knows, they could definitely be a player in the Western Conference playoff picture. Especially if they get bubbled Mitchell, you know, and, you know, no fans in the stands. I see no reason for him not to rebound within the next two weeks. And I think this is probably one of the better examples of this being too small of a sample size because Donovan Mitchell is much better than what he's been playing at. And once he hits that, there will definitely be a team to watch for. Also, a little bit of a surprise to me, but the Nets have been struggling as of late. And again, it's only been a few games. I believe they're three and three right now. They're three and four. Three and four. So it's, I mean, it's just something seems a little bit off. And it, it really became apparent in the loss to the Wizards, a game that had no defense played. And at the start of the season, I remember Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer was talking about how oh, like, yeah, the defense was the big question, but Kyrie is playing with so much defensive intensity and, you know, they're really, like, filling big shoes on defense. And that really did not seem to be the case against the Wizards. I don't know if you saw that, too. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I did not watch that game. I believe I was watching a different game at the time. But, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, their defense it was always the issue for me. And I don't know whether it's necessarily Kyrie. I don't actually think that is... Oh, I'm not uh, blaming him by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Uh, I, I think the the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie, who is uh, playing good on defense, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it really hurts them. And I think it was it was bound to happen, right? They have nobody. They have no interior defense whatsoever. Absolutely none. That's what like, happened against the Wizards too. They let Thomas yeah. Bryan go for 21. Exactly. Like they, like DeAndre Jordan is washed. Yeah. <laughs> it's is. true he's just not good anymore jared um, allen and Jar- they're forcing too much on him it seems like yeah like jared allen gets blocks but he's not a great rim protector mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's more than than blocks being a rim protector and they just don't have you know any big wings right they do not have a power wing yep to stop strong players like kevin durant is like their their best wing defender yeah that's a problem you can't put that burden on him exactly you can't put that burden on him the whole year and he just isn't it doesn't match up well with a lot of uh, guys who are you know great like i don't know how they're gonna guard Giannis. no how they're gonna guard joel Embiid. you know what i mean like yeah i i know i have no clue like that they're just gonna struggle mightily yeah they're, they're going to give up way too many points in the paint. They're going to foul often with Jared Allen in. It's just, 
it almost seems like with Dinwiddie's loss, a lot of people said they need to trade for guard depth. I think they need to trade for, like you said, some interior presence. And yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen because they were very Dinwiddie's attached. Injury. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. One, because they were really attached to DeAndre Jordan in the offseason. And unless they move Jared Allen, you know, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get a decent midseason trade through. So, I don't know. They've got some things to work out, and it seems like it's going to have to be an internal fix. Yeah, and that's that's a scary sight because there's really just – there's flaws in that roster. There are yes. flaws in that roster that need to, to be fixed, and it's not looking like – I don't know how they're going to fix them. Yeah, and, I mean, losing Dinwiddie is just terrible for their second unit too because they started to stagger – Katie and Kyrie's minutes and that's gonna put a lot of stress on Karis LeVert too and Dinwiddie was the perfect complimentary piece to round out that group of like four scorers and now they're down to three and are you really gonna rely on Karis LeVert for the entire season and he hasn't been very good this no year. you know he started off great and then he you know he became Karis LeVert again and started playing more characteristic but they definitely have some questions again I'm not like overly concerned from a playoff perspective not at all, actually. I, I still think, you know, KD and Kyrie are both going to average over 25 and they're going to, you know, play some good basketball. But long term, and especially in the playoffs, there's there's a lot of red flags. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I Again, I don't think this team should be the favorite for getting out of the Eastern Conference. Not the way the Sixers are playing, I will say. Uh, yep. No, no. I mean, maybe over the Bucks. I still am not completely sold on the Bucks as a team, but... The Sixers are a different animal, and the Sixers look like, you know, the kings in the East so far. So until someone dethrones them, and hopefully it's the Celtics on January 20th, um, that might be the, the story. So we've also got some takeaways from the Celtics, as usual. Now, last night, I'm going to be honest, last night's game was probably one of the most fun Celtics games I've watched this season. Well, no, it was definitely the most fun Celtics game I've watched this season, but just in general, watching them stomp the Raptors was awesome. And the reason they were able to, despite being out Jeff Teague and Marcus Smart, is really because of Peyton Pritchard. And he's starting to look like a first-team all-rookie candidate. He really is. Mm -hmm. He's posting great stats. He's top three in most rookie stats and a lot of offensive ones. He's playing with great intensity on defense. And like I said, last night, he dropped 23-8 and eight in a vacuum of guards. He proved that given a larger workload, he can perform. He was in step-back threes. I mean, drawn fouls. He was doing everything you need your reserve guard to do. And he looked great doing it. Um, the players love him, obviously. If you keep up with the Celtics on social media, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum absolutely love Pritchard. But another silver lining in the game last night was that semi- was playing great. And as pretty much every Celtics fan knows, Semi has been someone that, you know, people love to hate because he's just been terrible. Like, you know, great on defense, but horribly inconsistent. Um, no offensive skill set really shown. He was supposed to be a shooter coming out of SMU and he could never shoot. But this season, Semi has proven people wrong. He's shooting above 38% from three on some decent attempts. He's playing great defense still, and he's rebounding. And I think if Semi can give you you know, 12 points per night, that is awesome. And that's what he did last night, and they won big. So with him sliding in at the four, 
that is a much more efficient lineup than the double big lineup. And Celtics fans were groaning about starting Tice and Thompson for good reason, because last night they came out and went down, you know, 15 with those two in. As soon as they took Tice out and put in uh, Sammy at the four, the game completely flipped. And the same thing happened with Grant Williams at the four. So, I mean, the the Celtics are trending upwards, and I'm going to put a lot of that on Peyton Pritchard. He's really stepped up, and he's given Brad exactly what he's needed. I have a a strange question about the Celtics. Why is every game they play ridiculously close? Why? I mean, I don't know. Last night it was a blowout. Yeah, I I was talking about more before last night. Like, what, they had, like, four games in a row that were, like, crazy close? Yeah, okay. Both the games against the Pacers and both the games against Detroit? To be fair, the, the Pistons games were an anomaly. They smashed the Grizzlies right before that. And then they beat the Pacers by five before that. They split. They went one and one with the Pacers. Lost one game, beat beat them in the other game. It just seems like, I mean, really, they've played some solid teams. They've yeah, blown out their true. Grizzlies. If you consider the Pistons an anomaly, which it definitely was, I don't know what was going on. And I, I would blame a lot of that on the double big lineup and the minutes that they got. But aside from those two games, they've been pretty pretty much playing up to form. You know, they blew out the bad teams and they split with the Pacers. They beat the Bucs in a close game. They lost to the Nets when the Nets looked great. Um, but I don't know. I, th- I think to a certain degree, when you have a young team like that and you're giving a lot of rookies minutes, you're going to either play up or down to competition mm-hmm. because you can't really expect consistent play. You know, Pritchard's not dropping 23 every night. But I'm going to be honest. The Celtics' outcome so far into the season, and again, it's a small sample size, but they're 5-3. and three. And this is pretty much all you could have hoped for. Everyone know everyone knew that with Kemba out, they were going to have a slow start to the season. And while that's sort of been true, I believe they're third in offensive efficiency right now. Or no, no, they're, they're now they were for a few games, but on the season, they're tenth in offensive rating. And to be in the top ten without your primary playmaker and pick and roll facilitator. That's a nice surprise. And once they pick up their defense, which is, you know, the worst it's been in four years, they will be, uh, I think they're a threat to come out of the East. And I wasn't comfortable saying that a week ago. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I mean, they look great this year. No doubt about it. And it's, again, we've talked about this a lot um, last week and now again, but it's really all about Jalen Brown, man. Yeah. I mean, he's been unbelievable. That's all it is. He's going to have. He's going to have some regression because he's what's shooting like, again, he's still like just not missing shots. No, yeah. He's shooting He's shooting an obscene like 47 from three right now. I mean, it's just, it's been crazy. But it's also, it's nothing that's out of his range. And I think this is the player he was supposed to become this year. So I'm not, I'm not overly surprised. I'm just really relieved it happened. Um Yes. I mean, he's shooting fifty. He's shooting fifty percent of the field. 50, yeah, I All mean right. that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's not going to stay that way. No. But yeah, yeah, he's absolutely been much, not. much improved. But fifty-eight percent from the field and forty-three from three. And if I mean, I, I bet you he'll level out around like fifty-two this year. I mean, he's just his separation on his mid-range game is elite. It really is. He's got one of the deepest bags I've ever seen. And when you consider players who have like a full offensive skill set, there's not many. And I think Jalen Brown is one of them. And he's sort of edging out Tatum in some regard. Um, yeah, I mean, he has been better than Jason Tatum this year. 
Yeah, and I mean, they've both been top four in points scored, so I'm not going to complain. Tatum's also been playing amazing, but Jalen Brown, he's playing like an all-NBA first-team player. Yeah, he's been fantastic. So, do you have any Lakers takeaways? Anything jumping off the page? Uh, I mean, I think most of what I said the last episode still applies. I think uh, Marcus All has still been – he's been really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. And they're they are I think they're third in offense, fifth in defense, and this is without uh you know Alex Caruso, mm-hmm. who's you know us you know probably their one of their best defensive players. So again, I, I have nothing but positives to really say about the Lakers. Uh, the game against the Grizzlies was the first time that Anthony Davis was not sleepwalking on defense. <laughs> so that was nice to see. Um. And another thing is that, so, Anthony Davis's jump shot from the bubble, that was real. Mm-hmm. That was real. Like that was not just a, a, a flash in the the, you know, the no fans the in the little stadium. Yeah, like that. He is just really that good of a jump shooter now. Yeah, which it's is a problem. Absolutely, <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, it's a terrifying sight. Yeah, for. <laughs> The rest of the NBA, if Anthony Davis is just going to keep absolutely knocking down mid-range jump shots and, you know, shooting step-back threes uh, like he has been, you know, recently. And I mean, if you want to talk about some elite splits, 52% from the field, 41 from three for him, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. a huge leap, retro- and, I mean, in career perspective. And he's doing that without being aggressive at all. Mm-hmm. Like, he is just getting the ball and then not even attempting to go to the basket and just shooting jump shots over people. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I'm, like, I'm frustrated with him because he's not being aggressive enough. But, every like, every time he shoots, I'm also like, all right, that's probably going in. Yeah, so exactly. It's really – he's been uh, – and he has not been good on defense this year, right? Mm-hmm. So, I'm – I mean, this Lakers team is – you know, in a few weeks when they really catch their groove – I mean, they're probably going to pull off like a 15-game win streak this year. Yeah, it's it's definitely it definitely like, seems likely. It really does. They are that good. Uh, like Dennis Schroeder is so good. Yeah. Like he is amazing. Like he's so good on defense as well for a guy his size. Mm-hmm. He, he was their main defender of Luca in the Christmas Day matchup. Yeah. And he really flustered Luca, and he has just been so good this year. I mean. Uh, Kuz even has been pretty good this season. You know, he's been more decisive with his, you know, shots. Again, he still has the, like, he, his difference between when he, uh, you know, has to, like, shoot after dribbling uh, versus when he's just shooting off the catch is insane. But he's been much better this year. Uh, KCP is shooting, like, 50% from three, even though he did sprain his ankle, but he should be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Lakers have just, they've been amazing. They really like, have, man. Uh, again, they, they dropped the game against the Blazers. They dropped the game against the Clippers on opening night. But, I mean, this team is going to be great, right? Exactly what I expected. And, uh, yeah, and, not much to say about them, honestly. And with that in mind, let's head into some power rankings to wrap up this episode. Now, I think we can kind of both agree that we'd slide the Lakers in at the 1 given that they have the second-best record in the NBA. And like you said, they're still lacking a little bit of intensity on defense from AD, who's you know one of the best defenders in the league. So 
I, I feel pretty confident at sliding the Lakers in at one. Um, I'm sure you do too. Now, what about the two? I'm going to put the Sixers there. All right. Again, just with the improvements Joel Embiid has been making, uh, Doc Rivers, coach Tobias Harris, and mm-hmm. Seth Curry. I mean, I just think that team is really, really good. Yeah. And I think they're there to stay. And at three, I'd feel pretty comfortable sliding the Suns in ahead of the Clippers. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I think I would still have the Clippers ahead of the Suns. Although what I will say is um, the Clippers did almost blow a 31-point lead. Yeah, that's to the Suns, <laughs> That's the thing about the Clippers that I can't get which, over. Yeah. like, And I think the Suns, I actually think uh, the Suns are a really bad matchup for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. That's so that is that, true. That is a playoff matchup that I hope happens. Then again, I mean, with the emergence of that wing rotation, I feel like they have some options for people to throw at Paul George and Kawhi. Exactly. To the point where they'll have legs and have minutes to spare. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if the Suns can keep up this level of play, I would feel fine sliding them ahead of the Clippers, only because that Clippers, they have this weird phenomenon where they seem to like come into games apathetic you know there's still that underlying tension of like Kawhi and Paul George getting superstar treatment while the rest of the rest of the locker room doesn't and I think just until they can seem like a real team and you know not lose by 50 to the the Mavericks I'm gonna have a few questions about them and it's really only questions that can be answered in crunch time in the playoffs but regardless we've got the Lakers Suns Sixers Clippers in our top four um, Sixers at two, um, and at five, we're probably going to have different takes here, but I'm going to slide the Celtics in at five and I'm trying to keep this power ranking current. And even right now, I think they're playing top five basketball, but once again, they're missing one of their best players. And if people keep forgetting about that, they will surprise people in the playoffs. Who would you slide in at five? Uh, I'm going to go with the Indiana Pacers for now. Okay. I know, uh, TJ Warren did just get hurt, but they've been playing great. Oladipo has been awesome this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Malcolm Brogdon has been really good, and Sabonis is cementing himself that last year's All-Star campaign was not just a fluke. Mm-hmm. He's just a very, very good player. And, uh, again, they're fine on defense um, as well. And they have a good bench. I-, I just really think that team's good. Again, I don't know how long they'll be in the top five power ranking, but... For now, I feel like they deserve a spot in there. They just came off a win last night against the the Pelicans. So I, I feel like I just got to give the Pacers their credit, put them in the top five. Yeah, t- totally not impossible, especially with Miles Turner. I mean, he's climbing the ladder in the Defensive Player of the Year rankings, which is shocking to me. But it's really not when you look at some of his stats. You know, he's putting up a, like four blocks per game, I think. Just wild. And they're a team that, once again, they don't really have a star, but... Once Warren's back, I'm not actually sure what his timetable is. He is set to undergo it, foot I, surgery. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be back this season. Honestly. Yeah, that I mean, that's a tough blow for me because, again, without a true superstar, you kind of really want as many, you know, solid contributors as possible. And losing a dude that's averaging 15 points per game, it's never easy. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Celtics over the Pacers, but I'm glad we can disagree on a few things. <laughs> All right, and I think that'll do it for this episode. 
All right. Once again, thank you guys for listening and we'll be back in a few days. Thank you.